let me start by putting you a little bit on the spot. I think you can do this. Do you have, or is it possible to have a one sentence definition of the metaverse? I have my own one sentence definition of the metaverse. This is the Talking Metaverse podcast presented by Immersal. Your host is Tan Lei. I call it and I think of it as the post-text internet of experiences. Post-text. Yeah, because the internet as we know it is text-based. It's keyboard-based. But one of the very important things I think about the metaverse is that it, it is post-text. It's about, it's about images. It's about three-dimensional objects. It's about moving through spaces. There's not a lot of written words in the metaverse. And, and there's all kinds of implications for that. What does a search engine look like in the metaverse? What do you search for? How do you actually create it? But it also, another implication is that it sets us free from the keyboard. And, and I think that's actually gonna be an extremely important development of the metaverse as we move into a more immersive, experiential um, way of interacting with our computing. Um, we're really gonna to have to rethink a lot of the things that we're taking for granted about our interfaces. And, and the other key word you use there in your one sentence definition was experience. Yeah. So we're actually, we're not just reading, we're not just hearing, we're not just watching. We're experiencing. Yeah, we're we're living the the information that we get, the the exchanges that we have with other people. Um, you know, instead of uh, you know having an NFT that you see on a wall in a gallery, your your avatar is wearing the NFT, or you know you're you're experiencing it in in other ways. I mean, uh, I was at AWE this year, which is the um, the main uh, AR and VR uh, uh, conference, and the winner of the best VR experience was um, uh, OVR, which is olfactory. Uh, they add the olfactory layer to VR. So you know, so so bringing in more experiences, you know, and ultimately, you know, haptics as well, but really experiencing things rather than, I mean, if you, if you think about it, the internet itself, it's so text-based and, and we older people are used to getting information through almost purely the written word and, and the occasional image. And what I see, one of the big changes that's happening with the generations is that uh, younger people really do a lot of their information absorption through video and through images and, and through experiencing things in a kind of, you know, in the Fortnite, uh, Roblox, Minecraft kind of, kind of gaming model. And I think all of those things are gonna come together and, and we're going to become a very post-text uh, society. You know, I don't know what this means for reading. I don't know what this means for literature. I don't know what this means for books, but um, I think we're on the threshold of a completely new way of interacting with and understanding information and how information flows is stored and is understood. So yeah, I know it's big, right? It's, this is, <laughs> I mean, we're used to thinking of the metaverse as kind of, you know, being big in a lot of different ways, but I don't think enough people are kind of talking about the post-text element of it. And before we 
uh, get into what Nokia's role is in this. Just quickly going back, olfactory. So, so the, which is um, the sense of smell. So does that mean there's only one left? There's there's only taste left. That one. Uh, well, yeah. Is and, there, well, and, there, and there are companies that are working on taste as well. <laughs> I don't remember any of the company names. I'm wondering, is there a need? There's at least one. Japanese company that I know. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is there a need to <laughs> simulate taste? Well, I, I don't be... know. I don't know. The thing is, though, um, I don't know. I don't know as much about taste, but smell, for example, is actually wired into the lizard brain level of our consciousness. Smell is something that that we, uh, you know, it's it's a very elementary and basic kind of thing and makes us react in, in uh, very strong ways. We don't filter smell through our frontal prefrontal cortex. We don't think about smells. Smells actually connect to us. Yeah, lizard brain. Um, and I, I don't know if taste is as fundamental to us as, as to our thinking and to our, our, our experiencing profiles as smell is. But, um, but it's certainly, again, you know, something that is another way for us to understand information. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're right. I, we don't walk around tasting everything in the physical world. So maybe <laughs> taste is a little less necessary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would like to ask, what is Nokia? Why is Nokia interested in the metaverse? Well, first of all, it's almost impossible to ignore these days. So, you know, everybody's finding a way to be interested. But it, in all honesty, we've actually been looking at this space for a while because. Um, uh, no, not so much the kind of the metaverse space, but the way that connectivity is going to be enabling the hardware of the future. And, and specifically, the um, wireless high definition VR headsets, which today you have to have you know, a cable connected to a powerful laptop, but particularly the, um, the head mounted devices that are gonna be necessary to, to experience augmented reality, you know, those kinds of things are still in development. We're looking to see what Apple comes out with fairly soon. We're looking to see what uh, Meta's Project Cambria looks like when it comes out. Um, but we're, I think we're on the, the, the brink of some really interesting new hardware in this area. And, and the thing is that for a head mounted device, to be, because I, I wear glasses, right? You and I are looking at each other. You can see that I wear glasses because I'm pointing to my glasses as I'm saying this. And these glasses are, you know, these are just regular eyeglasses and they're not very heavy and and they're, they're not, you know, they're not unstylish. And in order to maintain this kind of style profile, because we're all human, we don't want to put something big and clunky on our faces because it would be uncomfortable, first of all, but if it's unstylish, nobody's gonna wear it all day. And so, um, so for augmented reality headsets to, to, to really truly take off, they're going to need to have the same kind of profile as regular eyeglasses. And the only way that you can accomplish that is by moving the computing off of the device and into the network. And, and having the computing in the network requires then a very strong connection um, and by strong, it's not you know non-technical term, meaning high bandwidth and low latency connecting to the headset. And so, um, so, so for example, to give a really concrete example here, um, in Google's uh, developer conference and in May, at the end of the conference, they just dropped without comments at all. Just very, very cheeky of them. Um, a uh, just a video of 
glasses, showing people putting on these glasses, and then these glasses giving them real-time translation, uh, speech-to-text translation of the words that people were saying to them. So they basically have subtitles that they can see through the glasses for everyday life. And they also had translations <clears throat> um, from one language to another, that leading to subtitles. Very practical. That's something that instantly people can understand the utility of. How was that actually working? Well, of course, Google making no comment on the video didn't say. However, we know that that processing, that speech to text processing, particularly translations, that is more computing than would comfortably fit into the, the shape profile of those classes. And so the kind of, you know, the, the speculation that I've seen out there is that there was probably a Bluetooth connection to a phone and the speech to text translation was happening on the phone. And then, and then the Bluetooth coming back with the actual, um, uh, with the actual text that you're seeing in the glasses. Now that's fine for a small audio file and and you know just going to your phone but if you start dealing with front-facing cameras actually analyzing the visual surroundings now the amount of information that you're passing is much more than can be handled well over bluetooth mm. and and so and you're going to need to have a high bandwidth low latency connection coming off of those glasses and you're going to need to have a lot more processing power that can be held in a smartphone and so so that means a connection to the network sending those visuals that are coming back from the glasses or or an abstracted version of those visuals for analysis and then coming back with some kind of information, um, some kind of result uh, for you to then see in an augmented reality way. And so that connection, understanding that connection, what that connection is going to need, how far away from the end user can that computing sit? Does it need to be within, you know, a hundred meters? Can it be as far as 10 miles away? You know, what exactly is this going to look like? How are we going to build the network to support these things? Those are the questions that we're actually looking at and we're 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 dealing with. Um, so this is, you know, it's it's grunty infrastructure work in the back end. Mm -hmm. And I should actually say very clearly right now, we are not manufacturing the glasses, we are not manufacturing any of the headsets, we're doing none of the end devices. We're purely interested in making sure that connectivity works to make these end devices produced by other companies work well when when the time comes. Wow. Yep. And that's going to be a huge thing. So just re recapping your example. So the glasses don't do any computing. The phone does the computing. But you're saying right. that with, with 5G, even the phone may not do the computing. The computing will be done somewhere far away. Somewhere else, right. Where you can have like, you know, just a whole stack of servers to really give you superior computing power, you know, really, really you know, bring all the oomph from the ground. And so, so, but it's not just about moving the computing off of the glasses to keep up the form factor. There's two other elements that actually moving the computer off the glasses gives you as well. Um, it, it makes it cheaper for the end device for the actual glasses, you don't cost so much if you're paying, you know, you don't have a big fat chip sitting in them. It also means that they don't generate as much heat, which means the glasses stay cool and that's very important for wearability. So, so there's a lot of things that actually removing the computing from the end device, you know, does for you. And what's really interesting is that exactly those same problems and the same solution of moving the computing into the network is something that we're seeing in drones and robotics control as well. If you want to have a cheaper end device that doesn't get very hot and um, that uh, uh, that also um, 
Oh, yeah, the battery lasts a much longer time. That's another really important thing. If the end device doesn't have a lot of processing, then having the minimal processing on the end device, having and then the processing happening in the network, that profile, that architectural profile is ideal not only for AR and VR glasses, but for drones and robotics and lots of visual analytics cases and cloud gaming as well. So, so it's so it's not so much that we're like really heavily focused on VR and AR as enablers of the metaverse. It's that we see that this particular structure of having computing located in the network is something that's going to enable the next the next step for a lot of different industries. And it's almost kind of a side effect. Oh yeah, we're going to be enabling the metaverse at the same time. So, awesome. so that's yeah so that's why we've been working on this for a while um and and it's only you know kind of only recently like oh oh look this this means we're supporting the metaverse okay cool <laughs> <laughs> awesome now we we are talking a little bit in the near maybe distant future um what about today without those glasses can we still it, what kind of experiences are available on just handheld devices Oh, well, tons, tons of stuff that we're not involved in because <laughs> um, we're, we're purely focused on the connectivity angle. But um, uh, I mean, right now, specifically, you know, augmented reality, uh, you know, there's there's just so much that's going on. Um, there's one of my favorites is a company called Bad VR that's based out of Los Angeles. They do they have a product called C-Signal where you can use either some kind of headset or your handset and literally see the strength of the wireless signal in the air around you. So if you, you know, if you're sitting in a room and your Wi-Fi is, is not good, you can actually use this device to see where is the Wi-Fi better and then to go there and get that better, that better experience. In fact, it was funny, um, uh, bad VR was at AWE and, um, and there were so many, so many demos on the demo floor and so many Wi-Fi hotspots that they were all kind of, you know, clashing with each other. And it was funny because I, I went over to the C-Signal, well, to, to the bad VR guys and they turned on C-Signal, it was looking around, it's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's not just guessing that there's bad Wi-Fi. Now I can literally see that the Wi-Fi in here is terrible. <laughs> so. Cool. So it's not just, um, we're not just in an intermediate phase where we're waiting for the glasses. There's actually stuff happening. There's totally. stuff to experience oh, right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now for the really immersive kinds of stuff, yeah, we are waiting for the hardware and, you know, their optics have to be developed and the battery stuff still needs to be developed. And as I said, you know, we're still working on the connectivity part and on the chip side that it, it's what I call splitting the chip instead of having one big fat chip in your end device, understanding what processes have to stay on the end device and what can go into the network. That R&D work is still going on right now, uh, largely driven by um, Qualcomm. They've been at least the most public about it. And so we're, we're still kind of waiting for the chips and therefore waiting for the, the headsets. So, so for the augmented reality side of things, you know, we, the building blocks are there, they're in development. It's gonna be so a little bit of time before they're kind of the R&D is all finished. Virtual reality, of course, is way ahead and it doesn't really, all the connectivity that virtual reality needs is already there because, you know, all, most uh, commercial grade VR headsets, uh, well, you know, the, the Quest, for example, they, you know, they run on Wi-Fi and they're fine, you know, so so there's no connectivity issues there at all. And and so there's there's clearly lots of immersive, wonderful things happening in the VR world already. 
I noticed you haven't mentioned, I mean, you didn't mention the word 5G, but it is 5G, isn't it? That we're it talking is 5G, about. yeah. Yeah, yeah, 4G just does not, the pipe is not big enough in terms of the amount of data that can pass through and the latency, which is the speed with which connections are actually made, it's just not low enough. And, and so you really do need 5G for this. And in fact, this whole, this whole concept of splitting the chip of having some processing on the end device and the rest of the processing in the network and having that enable drones and robotics and VR and AR, for me, that's actually the real reason that 5G exists. But because we're still kind of waiting for the hardware to catch up a little bit, that's a little bit why 5G hasn't really fulfilled its, its, its full promise yet. Why people are like, well, what is 5G for? Well, it's for this. We're just waiting for the hardware. We had a similar thing happen back in the 3G days. 3G was originally introduced in 2004. Um, but it was a little bit, again, it was a connectivity waiting for hardware to fully utilize it. The 3G iPhone did not come out. I mean, the original initial iPhone was um, 2007. That was only two and a half G. I think the first 3G iPhone wasn't until 2008, which was a full four years after 3G had happened. Wow. But, but, you know, yeah, exactly. It, it's, but then the iPhone was really kind of, you know, retroactive. It's like, oh, this is what 3G is for. We're, I think we're going to see a similar thing with 5G. So we're kind of in the like, yeah, with the hardware that will really, really take advantage of 5G isn't quite out there yet, but it's coming soon. I tell you, it's coming soon. And am I correct in saying the in terms of numbers, the leap from fourth to fifth gen is way bigger than any of the previous leaps? It is. It's a total reimagination of the, the architectural structure. Um, and so, you know, and yes, it enables more bandwidth and lower latency, but the other thing that enables, which isn't so much a metaverse thing, um, but it enables just just millions of connections to be made to a single um, base station, as opposed to just, you know, a few. And, and the reason that you want this is to be able to have just gazillions of sensors everywhere. And so that's actually much more, it's more kind of an internet of things sort of structure. But enabling that actually, it took a total reimagining of the entire structure of the network. And so, yeah, so it's a big change and it's a big investment in, you know, the companies that, you know, are out there building 5G networks. And, uh, you know, and, and, and what's really great is that I think, you know, within the next year or two is the appropriate hardware starts coming out, we're going to start getting, getting much more excited about what 5G is enabling. And it, we really will start seeing what's different from 4G. But, but that said, there's kind of, you know, within the connectivity industry, we kind of have a, uh, um, the, the way that it's kind of gone is that the odd numbered G's tend to have a big amount of promise that are really then fulfilled fully with the even numbered G's. And so, so 3G had a lot of promise, but we were talking a lot about video. Well, 4G was the thing that really delivered the video. And then with 5G, we're kind of talking about the metaverse and not to, you know, freak anybody out too much, but 6G. I think it's going to be the one oh my that goodness. delivers the metaverse. Yeah, because when 5G was envisioned, the whole concept of the metaverse wasn't really, it wasn't a thing. And, and you know, we build these, these specs, we build these standards based on what we think is going to be needed. And back when 5G was being specced out, um, what was clear was video streaming. So the way that 5G is spec'd out is it's got a huge amount of downlink. So it allows like a lot of traffic to come from the network to the end user. But the uplink, so the traffic from the end user back into the system, 
that's not so big. And developers are already running into those limitations because of course we have these situations where you wanna be able to scan the visual reality of somebody's entire surroundings and send that into the network for, anal for analysis. And you can't because the uplink is too small. So, you know, so we're gonna be getting parity with the uplink and the downlink that's gonna come in 5G advanced, which is kind of 2027. But right now, all the talk about the metaverse and kind of what that could be and what it should be, that's, you know, I can tell you that's really informing the standards for 6G, which are being debated within the industry right now. And, wow. and yeah, and the way these things get, the way these things happen is everybody looks around and goes, all right, what's a problem that we're having? <laughs> and, and what can we do to solve it? So, you know, so it's actually really good timing that we're starting to build these 5G things and finding out what the limitations are, because then we can actually design 6G to actually solve those limitations. I have to say, it's so cool that this is the first time on this podcast, the word 6G has been mentioned. So talk about thinking forward. And I think it's, it might be the first time I've heard anyone say it in real terms. I know. I mean, the standards have not been set yet. It's still, you know, something it's a, the, the, and the way that these standards happen is that there's, you know, the companies that, uh, that develop things, you know, it's us and it's, it's, it's other companies out there who are all in this industry. We all kind of, everybody throws their ideas on the table and then there's a group consensus about what should go into the standard. And so it's still very much the ideas on the table stage. It's super, super early, but it takes a long time because once you've decided, okay, these are the things we're going to address, then you have to go solve these problems. It takes years of research. And, and so, so yeah, yeah, the, this is, you know, we're the beginning points of 6G and, and for just for timeline purposes, 6G will probably be hitting in about 2030, but the thinking and the planning has to start now. Okay. Uh, let me quickly, <laughs> let me quickly ask you because, um, you're so excited about this and I've seen you talk before and you have so much energy when I would love to know, when did you first come across this stuff? When did you first, do you remember your first AR VR experience? Yeah, um, uh, well, my first, um, for AR, that one was more of a conceptual thing. It was when I read Kevin Kelly's article in Wired Magazine, I think in February of 2019, Welcome to the Mirror World, or you know, describing the mirror world, which is an AR kind of world. And, and I hadn't really, you know, filters, sure, but I hadn't really seen it too much. But that, that article just kind of exploded my mind that, oh my God, this is gonna be gigantic. This is, you know, I completely agree with him. This is gonna be something that's gonna be huge. Um, but my first virtual reality, hands-on experience, um, it was at, um, oh yeah, it was, it was Mobile World Congress Americas um, in San Francisco. And I think it was in 20, it was 2017 or 2018. Anyway, the Samsung at it, they had um, virtual reality headsets. They were probably, they're probably HTCs, they're probably Vibes. And, um, and they had on it an app from the company uh, Verzoom. And they had exercise bicycles. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And so you got on the exercise bicycle and then you put on the VR headset and you could play games that were linked into the exercise bicycles. And the game that I played on the booth that day, it was a tank game. And so you're a tank and, and you know, and you, you know, you totally are driving the tank and the speed of your tank 
actually is the pedaling that you're doing on the bicycle. And, 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 you know, and you look to where you're looking is, is, you know, is where the tank goes. And then there was uh, 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 thumb controls on the handlebars so that you could actually shoot other tanks. I sat on that bike in the middle of this expo, dressed in my nice business clothes for half an hour shooting tanks and having an absolutely amazing time. And then when I got off, I was drenched, absolutely drenched in sweat. I had to go around the rest of the day and like looking completely bedraggled. But it was so fantastic that that experience made me go out and this was pre-Oculus, made me go out and spend the ginormous amounts of money it took then to have a VR ring at home because you had to buy the expensive laptop and you had to buy the, the, the headset that was connected to the laptop with a wire. So I could have VZ Fit at home. And um, and then after they, and they've got a whole bunch of game universes. You can be, a, you can ride a unicorn sailing through the skies, gathering, gathering gems from the clouds. Um, you can ride bicycle races, you can have car races. Uh, they're all really wonderful because you're gamifying exercise. And then of course, um, you know, things like Beat Saber came in and Supernatural came in. And, and I quite frankly do all of my fitness in virtual reality. And, uh, and that, really, that really became useful with lockdown. Um, but you know, I could be going to the gym now, but I don't because I enjoy the gamified fitness the most. So, so for me, that was something that instantly clicked with me and I have absolutely stayed you know, every day. I'm in, I'm in VR every day for at least an hour working out. Amazing, amazing story. Love it. Okay, just before we finish, I would like to get um, a little bit philosophical. Mm. Now, you talked about your interest, Nokia's interest, being not in the hardware, not in the software, but in building the connections. Yes. Enabling the connections. And we could argue this technology is, it was conceived originally in order to allow people to connect it's at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the day it's all about connecting but then i'm wondering like because i get asked this question and i would love to know your opinion you just said oh you don't want to go to the gym anymore you want you rather work out in vr so i'm wondering is it going to create more connections or less in the future like have you thought about this Oh yeah, that's actually a question that comes up a lot in the discussions that I have as well. And you know, and, and it's funny because there's a lot of people who are afraid that you know it's going to be kind of the ready player one scenario where people are kind of huddled in their dystopian world and they never leave their their gaming rig and they never actually see another live human being ever again. You know, and, which is pretty awful when you think about it. But is it possible? But, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so, because if that was the direction that we were going to be going, then we wouldn't have the rise of Discord with people playing Fortnite, talking to each other on Discord as they're playing in Fortnite or Roblox or whatever. Um, it's, you know, so these, these gaming experiences that already exist, right? They are, people are not using them to isolate. In fact, people are already using them to come closer together. And, and, and it's really interesting, you know, I've got two teenage um, boys and during lockdown, they met other kids that they were interested in, in their games. And, and they don't live near here, 
And even after they've been going back to school for a full year now, their best friends are still the friends that they've made in the gaming universe because those are the ones that are closest to their own interests. I think, so, so I don't think there's a risk of us kind of withdrawing from humanity because the pattern that we're seeing already with the kind of most metaverse-like things that we've got all right, right now, which is the gaming universe, people are actually using that to drive towards more connections. I think we're social creatures and I think that's gonna be the way it goes. Where I think the, the risk is, because there is a risk, is that we will only interact with people who are like us. We will no longer, if we can have total control over where we go and who we interact with, then we're not going to have these random encounters with people who are not like us. And in fact, you know, my kids are to a certain extent able to reject the kids that they actually go to school with because they have better friends out there in, you know, the Fortnite world. And, and that's actually not good. We need to be exposed to different ways of thinking. We need to be exposed to different experiences, to different cultures, to different all kinds of things. And, and how we actually keep a heterogeneous um, level of the unexpected, where you, you go into worlds where you don't control everything, where, where unexpected things happen that expand your mind. That's going to be the harder thing for us to accomplish. And I think that's going to be a bigger challenge. Wow, great point. Yeah, great point. Because one thing we can do, one thing machines can do is we can create order. But yeah. for a machine to simulate randomness. Randomness. <laughs> and, and social randomness in a way that's, you know, pleasant. You know, will we choose the randomness? You know, I don't know, you know, and, and it's not everywhere in the world that has a problem with people being in their own little enclaves and not, but it, it's already an actual problem in the United States and, and, and at other places as well. And we, we need to keep encountering people who think differently than, than we do. Um, we need to, you know, maintain our understanding, even that there are other ways to think. Otherwise, what happens is the rise of unilateral thought and intolerance. And that's never good. Whatever ideology that's in, 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 in support it, what, that's supporting, it's never good. There always needs to be challenges to thinking and you know, that, that randomness brings. Um, yeah, so we need to have a way of not controlling all of the stuff and yeah if and this is a great yeah if everything's digitized that's yeah that's that's the challenge and it's something yeah. that needs conscious reminding right because and and also let's yeah. be clear we're it's a small part so it's it's perfectly okay to select the exact kind of people you want to be around and we should do that but we should leave a small part open for randomness that yeah, exactly. You know, something like, um, I love uh, things like Lunch Club that just pair completely random people to get together and talk for an hour. So, you know, things like that, if we can make sure that we build that sort of thing into the metaverse, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that, that's, that's what we need. Um, but, you know, people have to perceive that there's a need for that before they'll actually go out there and consciously choose to spend their time doing that. And I'm not sure that enough of us understand the importance of, of maintaining exposure to, to diverse ways of thinking. Um, yeah, well, you don't get, you don't get, you don't get new, 
new ideas, you don't get new creativity unless you have had your mind expanded um, by the, oh, I had no idea that was a possibility. Cool. Oh, let me think and, about that now. And also that's something that has to be accidental. You can't, right. you can't, you can't set yourself it. up to be surprised. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I will go into a different metaverse, you know, or a different, you know, a different world today, but it's still, it's not, it's not the same. It's not yeah. the same. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so, the, so that was a very, very long answer to your question. You know, I no. don't think we're going to become individually socially isolated, but I think we will become, we have the risk is it will become homogenized. Um, and that's the thing that we need to guard against. Love it. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. And I know it's really late there, so I really appreciate your time. Oh, no problem. I know it's really early where you are, so I appreciate your time as well. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Talking Metaverse podcast. Please subscribe for more.